Good evening. My name is Vivian Catfield, and this is Haunted Muse, a podcast of my freshly written speculative fiction and the often stranger-than-fiction stories behind it. This week, for our 134th episode, the 24th of Season 2, A Season of Short Works, I've written a story about a woman who has to make a decision. On its surface, it's a murder mystery with science fiction elements. Distilled down to its essence, it's also about whether it's better for a person to live with the benefit of wisdom, earned through life experience in addition to wealth, or if it would be better for them to simply allow life to unfold naturally, unfettered by sophistication and or the blessings and burdens of a prosperous upbringing. And also, whether one chance at either kind of life should be enough. As you listen to it, I invite you to decide for yourself which would be preferable. Last, it's a narrative that operates on what Hemingway called the iceberg principle, meaning that there's a lot going on beneath the surface of the character's emotions that they don't express explicitly. If you're not familiar with the iceberg principle, I've included a link in the show notes. I won't say any more about it now, though, to preserve the surprise. Instead, I would like to acknowledge the astute observations of one listener who noticed that our story for last week, Talons, reminded them of Gabriel Garcia Marquez's classic tale, The Man with Enormous Wings. I've been a great admirer of Marquez's work for many years, and the Latin American style of magical realism has always been a huge influence on my writing, which was particularly evident in that story. So kudos for catching the reference. That being said, I won't stall around any longer in introducing our story for this week, which I've named Reluminescence, a short story by Vivian Catfield. Curled up on the small, navy blue plaid love seat in her room in the servants' quarters with a glass of inexpensive red wine, Dana Nichols removed her non-slip shoes and began to massage her sore feet. It had been a long day. Miss Schroeder's younger sister's family had just left for an extended visit, which meant that for the last two weeks, everything had to be absolutely perfect, from their poached eggs in the morning to the chocolate mints on their pillows at night. The sense of competition that the Schroeder sisters had with one another was the stuff of local legend. Everyone talked about it. Dana's employer, Edith, the elder Miss Schroeder, had spent the majority of her life attempting to justify her decision never to marry, by consistently outshining her sister through entertaining her extensive brood lavishly several times per year at the family's estate. At least they won't be back for a few months, Dana thought, switching on the television. Not until after the reluminescence procedure is complete, anyway. Although part of her would prefer not to think about it, another part looked forward to it with a sort of hopeful curiosity. That evening, as she'd swept and vacuumed the guest suite one final time, Dana could hardly think of anything else. The fact that her daughter, her own little Gretchen, would inherit this place and the kind of life that only women like Edith Schroeder lived? Well, it made the whole situation seem okay, didn't it? Dana chose to believe so. Still, by the time she polished off her second glass of wine, Dana decided that she might ought to watch the advising video again. It had been such a help, Dana thought, in making up her mind to submit Gretchen's application to become a subject for reluminescence. 
although it was a bit unnerving that Gretchen had been matched with Miss Schroeder and not some mysterious faraway benefactor as Dana had initially imagined, in a way, it was better. Better that Dana would be able to continue to watch her daughter grow and mature into the type of young woman whom she'd never have become otherwise. Not with the prospects Dana would have been able to offer as a housekeeper and a single mother, anyway. As the advising videos so succinctly summed up the situation, what greater gift could a mother give her child than a lifetime free from the threat of poverty? Scrolling through the library of documentary and informational films in her base-level streaming network queue, Dana found the advising video and switched it on. A haunting melody, played on a wooden flute, echoed from the surround sound speaker system that Dana had bought a few months ago with some of the money she'd received after Gretchen signed her pledge to become Miss Schroeder's subject. Then a calm, voiced, fair-haired woman with pale blue eyes appeared. She was seated outdoors on a scrolled iron bench surrounded by a thick jungle of spiral topiaries and white peace lilies in enormous gray clay pots. Dana looked at her and yawned, exhausted yet unready for sleep, as the woman began her monologue. Have you ever wondered what life might be like if you had been born someone else? Someone with a brighter future and boundless possibility. Of course you have. Everyone has. And what if you could pass on the advantages of such a station in life to your own children? Only in recent years has that possibility become a reality. At least for the next generation. Through a groundbreaking procedure known as reluminescence, economically disadvantaged parents who were never given the chance to realize their full potential can secure futures for their children that were beyond their wildest dreams. Futures filled with opportunities rather than obstacles. Join me on this journey of discovery as I explain how applying for your child to become a reluminescent subject can benefit your entire family for generations to come. Always bored on every rewatching by the denser scientific details, Dana pressed fast forward and skipped to the more reassuring parts that followed. Through the miracle of modern science, it has become possible to transplant the memories and skills of elderly benefactors into younger minds and bodies by means of electrostatic therapy. From the seeds of these concepts, an entire industry has grown. As a result, children today need not be hindered by the economically disadvantageous circumstances into which they were born. Instead, they might be allowed to inherit the wealth of memories, experiences, and wisdom that have only traditionally been afforded to the upper class. Here, the background and the scene changed, as the fair-haired woman arose from the bench and passed beneath an archway of white climbing roses into a chessboard-patterned grassy lawn, where several pairs of people stood side by side. One individual of each pair was visibly older, although both bore a striking resemblance to one another in their style of dress and mannerisms. It was quite unnerving. The narrator continued. In our multifaceted matching process, which analyzes over a thousand different points of comparison regarding personality, appearance, and overall health, reluminescent subjects are united with their benefactors. Then, 
after getting to know one another through structured introduction activities, endorsed by a team of psychiatrists to ease the transition, subjects and benefactors undergo a series of electrostatic treatments that gradually transplant memories and abilities from one generation to the next. Over time, the subject's previous experiences are superseded by those of their benefactor, until their earlier childhood memories become nothing more than vague, fondly recalled dreams. Here, the music in the video changed to a breathy soundscape of electronic piano. As a wind machine began to toss the announcer's long blonde hair, she concluded, The ideal candidate for reluminescence is a pre-adolescent young man or woman between the ages of 12 and 14. Transplantation at this age, just before the natural growth spurt that occurs at puberty, allows for maximum incorporation of the benefactor's recollections and personality. Also, the subject must be able to pass a rigorous physical fitness test and be face-mapped as a match for one of our registered benefactors in order to be accepted into the program. Not every potential subject is fortunate enough to be selected as a match, and the process is very expensive. However, a portion of that expense is necessary to accommodate the compensation package for the subject and his or her family. The subject's family of record will receive a generous retirement and accommodation allowance. This money is to account for any lost wages and housing expenses needed to fund their relocation. It is generally preferred for the subject's family to live apart from the subject for at least 7 to 10 years after the procedure, as prolonged contact with the subject's birth family tends to interfere with the adherence of memories transferred by reluminescence. Last, once the process is complete, the subject will be named as an heir of no less than 33% of the benefactor's estate, according to their negotiated will and contract. In closing, the reluminescence process not only allows benefactors to extend their earthly existence through having a second physical life with a bonus of perfect hindsight, but it also serves as a convenient probate tax avoidance device for estate planning so that they may pass on their belongings to their favorite person in the world, themselves. <laughs> the blonde announcer laughed, a light tinkling sound as her image faded into a gauzy haze of contact information superimposed on the last screen. Dana switched off the television. Far from being comforted by re-watching the video, Dana felt slightly nauseous. She knew the remainder of the story already. After the transference was complete, the benefactor would be given a lethal dose of sedatives so that their original body would pass painlessly into its final sleep, even as their consciousness sprang to life in a newer, reilluminated form. Setting her wine glass aside, Dana put on her rubber-bottom slippers and long, belted sweater coat. The coat, once black, was faded to an uncertain gray through many washings and was frayed at the seams. It hung shapelessly over Dana's form like a judge's robe. Still, the sweater coat was her go-to because it matched her uniform. Shutting the door behind her, Dana padded carefully across the icy brick walkway between the servant's residence and the main house. Ever since her daughter, Gretchen, was matched with Miss Schroeder, the elderly lady had insisted that the girl sleep in one of the guest rooms in the main house. 
She claimed to Dana that it was because she wanted to better facilitate Gretchen's acclimation into the life that was to be hers soon. However, Dana thought it was more than that. The physical separation was intended to emphasize the emotional one. Gretchen was her daughter, no longer. Now that she had been chosen as the subject of Ms. Schroeder's reluminescence, her soul belonged elsewhere. Walking across the marble foyer in the darkness, Dana glanced up at the crystal chandelier around which the grand hand-turned oak staircase circled. Following it up to the main hallway on the second floor always made Dana feel as if she were walking through a museum of Miss Schroeder's life. At the bottom, she was a girl on her first pony, taking riding lessons. Halfway up, a middle-aged Miss Schroeder stood in front of the Greek Parthenon, her arm around the waist of an attractive man with a crooked smile, as two other happy couples flanked them on either side. Miss Schroeder always changed the subject when Dana asked about the man in the picture in a way that meant a story was there that she didn't intend to tell. At the top of the stairs, just across the landing, Dana glimpsed her reflection in the mirror. Her face was pale and her nose was red. Dana sniffled and patted her nose with a handkerchief from her pocket, from the ragged sweater coat, to stop herself from sneezing. She'd reckoned that her congestion was a last stand of a lingering cold, or perhaps an allergy. She couldn't be sure. Dana's position as Miss Schroeder's housekeeper did not come with health insurance. Thus, Dana avoided doctors as much as possible. If there were something very expensive wrong with her, Dana had decided she'd rather not know. Peering down the second floor hallway to the left and right, Dana saw that both Miss Schroeder's door and the one to Gretchen's room were ajar. Tiptoeing across the plush forest green carpet, Dana slipped into her daughter's room. Inside, Dana found Gretchen asleep. Grouped on her nightstand were a series of pictures in small gilded frames surrounding a highly polished rectangular brass mirror. Dana remembered that when Gretchen first moved in a month ago, there had been a single silver frame there instead. It contained a faded photograph of Gretchen, still an infant then, in Dana's arms, and her dad, Grant. All three were grinning bright as the sunset into which they squinted. Although it couldn't be seen in the photo, Dana remembered that Gretchen had grasped in one chubby hand the amber necklace that she was still wearing. It had been a gift from her husband, Grant. In the box, when he gave it to her, the note said, For my lucky girl, may the light always shine on you. The motorcycle on which Grant had died was propped on its kickstand in the background, too, as innocuous as a cloud in the sky. Dana wondered where that picture was now. The group of gold frame photos that had replaced it were all individually staged professional portraits, one each of Miss Schroeder, her rivalrous sister, her mother, and her father. Bending down for a closer look, Dana noticed that all of them had been taken at least six or seven decades ago, when the Schroeder sisters were still young, perhaps even in high school. Even as a child, Miss Schroeder's nose was long and pointy and her lips thin, giving her a haughty look that seemed far too austere to be considered beautiful. Despite her family's wealth, or perhaps because of it, Miss Schroeder had never married, 
As a result, her parents favored Edith over her sister, who'd married a fellow that they didn't approve of, and showed their preference by giving their older daughter most of their estate. Although her younger sister and the uncelebrated husband did well enough for themselves eventually, Miss Schroeder never missed an opportunity to remind her sister of her disinheritance and how she'd missed the opportunity to live as Edith had, exactly as she pleased, beholden to no one. In the mirror's reflection, Dana could see her own daughter sleeping peacefully. Her lips were parted and plump as a new rosebud. Gretchen's freckled, upturned nose was an exact replica of her own, before age and twenty extra pounds of never-lost postpartum weight gain had permanently broadened it. Around her wrist, Dana noticed a pale circle on her similarly freckled arm. Until a month ago, Gretchen had worn a genuine antique Mickey Mouse watch that played music. She begged for the watch as her big present the year she turned ten, because, as she had reasoned with her mother over the cost, time mattered more once a person's age started being counted in double digits. Dana had no idea where the watch was now either, only that Gretchen stopped wearing it the day after Miss Schroeder moved her into the main house. Miss Schroeder did not approve of such frivolities as musical watches. Glancing around the room, Dana took in all of the dozens of small changes which had already taken place in her daughter's life, even before the first reluminescence treatment which was scheduled for the next day. Gretchen had loved turquoise, Dana remembered. Gretchen had worn turquoise Converse high tops folded down with neon laces, the exact same colors as Dana chose when she was that age. The brightly colored kicks were gone now, replaced with sensible, low-topped gray trainers made of sustainable wool. Although they were very nice trainers, certainly more expensive than Gretchen's battered high tops had been, to Dana, they were old lady sneakers, something that a woman like Miss Schroeder would wear, not the shoes of a preteen girl. The clothes that Gretchen had thrown over the armchair next to the bed were wrong, too, Dana thought. A pair of sensible gray wool slacks and a creamy white cashmere sweater. Again, the clothes were fine and clearly expensive, but they made Dana think about Gretchen going to a meeting of the museum committee to which Miss Schroeder belonged, rather than to any place an ordinary 13-year-old girl might go. Two months before, Gretchen's wardrobe consisted primarily of leggings and oversized sweatshirts pushed up to the elbows to display armfuls of brightly colored bracelets. The bracelets were another throwback to Dana's own girlhood. Gretchen was fascinated when Dana told her that she and her girlfriends had spent countless hours braiding friendship bracelets out of embroidery floss. After Dana showed her how to make them, Gretchen insisted on throwing a bracelet-making party for all of her friends that year on her birthday. Ms. Schroeder thought leggings on young girls were vulgar and sweatshirts sloppy. The bracelet that she'd given Gretchen to replace the string ones was made of beautiful, genuine cultured pearls. It lay in a brass tray on the nightstand next to the matching pearl necklace and earrings which had quietly replaced Gretchen's large silver-plated hoops with the turquoise beads and trendy paperclip link layered necklace that she bought online with her allowance. Miss Schroeder hated cheap costume jewelry, 
particularly if it were oversized. So she didn't allow Gretchen to wear it. Perhaps most disturbing of all was the absence of any electronics in the room. Before she moved into the main house with Miss Schroeder, Gretchen's cell phone and laptop had been like any other girl's, as if they were permanently attached to her hands. However, Miss Schroeder didn't think that electronics should be allowed in the bedroom, nor should young women under 16 be allowed a phone line of their own, much less access to social media. Thus, Gretchen's access to those devices had been immediately restricted as part of the terms of the reluminescence contract, which Dana had signed on her behalf. Taking a last glance around the room, Dana brushed a kiss lightly across her daughter's cheek, Touching Gretchen's chestnut curls delicately as they lay spread out across the pillow, Dana patted an errant strand of her own identical hair back into its loose ponytail. Even though the first treatment was not scheduled until the next day, Dana could already feel a distance beginning to grow between them. Unable to look at her daughter any longer, Dana shut the door. Shuffling back down the hallway, Dana could feel hot tears beginning to well up in her eyes. She brushed them away with the back of her hand as she remembered that she hadn't picked up the trash from Miss Schroeder's bathroom that day. In the haste of tidying up after her sister's departure earlier, she'd simply forgotten. Knowing that Miss Schroeder would raise Cain if she saw the basket full the next morning, Dana thought she should try to slip in discreetly while the old lady was sleeping and take it out before she noticed. Pulling the door open slowly so that it wouldn't creak, Dana crept into the suite of Miss Schroeder's rooms. As she'd suspected, the old lady seemed fast asleep. In one corner of the room sat several large cardboard boxes, containing the components of the electrostatic transference machine. The procedures were to be performed at home by Miss Schroeder's private physician, which was the common practice. Although increasingly popular among those who could afford them, reluminescent sessions weren't allowed in most hospitals. Even though they'd passed AMA approval, the ethics surrounding them were hotly debated, with liberal physicians considering them questionable at best, while conservatives lauded them as preservation of the fullest extension of life possible. Passing by the older lady's Queen Anne-style writing desk on the way to the bathroom, Dana noticed a sheaf of papers next to her many bottles of medication in a brass tray. On the way back, with a full trash bag in hand, curiosity got the better of her, and Dana stopped to read the papers. A copy of the reluminescence contract she'd already signed on Gretchen's behalf was on top. The second document was more interesting. It was Miss Schroeder's will, leaving everything to Gretchen as a follow-up to the conclusion of the reluminescence procedure. The will would allow Gretchen to inherit all of Miss Schroeder's property along with her thoughts and her memories. From tomorrow onward, beginning with the first treatment of electrostatic transference, Gretchen would cease to be herself, but instead begin her life anew. Her mind erased all that would remain of the girl who had been Gretchen Nichols would be her healthier, younger body. Her mind would belong to Ms. Edith Schroeder forever. Almost as if she could sense Dana's presence, the old lady stirred. Dana, is that you? Yes, Dana replied. Her throat was dry and her voice hoarse. 
My arthritis is acting up, and I'm too stiff to get out of bed again. Could you bring me one of my pills? Crush it, and put it in some orange juice, like you do, though, first. Could you? They're too hard for me to swallow otherwise. Then, without waiting for Dana to reply, Miss Schroeder closed her eyes once more and mumbled, Thank you, dear. Sighing, Dana went downstairs to the kitchen. Miss Schroeder's post-bedtime requests were a nightly part of her job. Dana had long since given up trying to fall asleep before the old lady was completely down and snoring for the evening. To do so was an exercise in futility, as it was inevitable. The moment that she did so, Miss Schroeder would ring her cell with a request for a drink or a snack or, with increasing frequency, help getting out of bed to go to the bathroom. During the last few months, Dana had mostly given up on sleeping in her own bed at all, instead dozing on the sofa as she awaited the evening's call. Although Dana had tried to persuade Ms. Schroeder to speak to her doctors about this worsening condition, the older lady refused. She considered having to admit to any weakness, including that of her aging bladder, to be an egregious embarrassment. Back down in the kitchen, Dana poured out a glass of orange juice with maximum pulp, just as she knew Miss Schroeder liked it. Then she trudged back up the stairs with a pair of large, pure silver serving spoons to crush up the old lady's arthritis medication. As she reached for the amber-colored plastic bottle containing Miss Schroeder's arthritis medication, Dana hesitated. They all looked the same. The arthritis medication bottle... The other one that would put Ms. Schroeder to sleep permanently after the reluminescence treatments were complete, and all the rest. How easy it would be to mix them up, Dana thought. So many chalky white pills that were nearly identical if one didn't examine them closely. It was almost too easy. Dana paused. What Ms. Schroeder wanted wasn't that wrong. It wasn't even unusual. It was what most anyone would ask for if given the opportunity. Second chances held perennial appeal. The problem was that Edith Schroeder's first chance should have been more than enough. Pulling the overlong sleeves of her faded sweater coat down over her hands, Dana set the first bottle back on the tray and picked up another one. She read the label, then tipped out all eight pills from the second bottle. Crushing them into a fine powder between the silver spoons, Dana tipped them into the tall glass of thick, pulpy orange juice. Then she slipped the spoons into the pocket of her tattered sweater coat. There were too many silver spoons in the drawers downstairs for those two to ever be missed. After stirring the mixture thoroughly, Dana handed it to Ms. Schroeder, careful all the time, only to touch the glass through the sleeves of her sweater coat. The old lady thanked her and gulped down every drop. She even ran her finger around the rim to scrape out the last bits of pulp before lying back on her pillow. Setting the glass down on her bedside table, Miss Schroeder remarked that Dana should buy herself a new sweater, because the one she wore was beginning to look old. It wouldn't do for the doctor to see her housekeeper in such a worn-out sweater. As she turned out the light and shut the door behind her, Dana reassured Miss Schroeder that she would do just that first thing in the morning.
This is the end of Reluminescence, a short story by Vivian Catfield. Tune in next week for another new story here on the Haunted Muse podcast. Until then, this is Vivian Catfield reminding you to remain ever watchful because you never can tell. Someone or something somewhere out there just might be watching you.